0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. It means a lot to us that you've decided to make this service a part of your spiritual rhythm today. Whether you're live in the room with us, watching online, or at some point in the future. If you are just visiting, this is the kind of place that anyone can call home. If you are curious about church, this is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a great place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. If you followed Christ your whole life, this is the kind of place that cares about your spiritual journey. We are committed to helping you grow. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email if you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home or if you just have questions please let us know we'll help you find the answers for today's service you can find study questions in the resources section of our website and now let's join our service Well, those of you who have been around Dayspring for a while know that Dee and I like to travel. Uh, we like the adventure of getting away, whether it's for fun or a mission trip. We don't care. We love boarding that airplane and taking off on uh, some new journey. Uh, of course, travel means baggage, and baggage means packing. Uh, Packing is probably the least favorite part of travel for me. I hate fighting the tension of packing too much or too little. I don't really want to schlep a big heavy bag around all the time, especially in a foreign country where elevators are few and far between and often out of order. That 35-pound bag gets heavy around the fourth floor. And if I'm traveling with Didi, well, let's just say her 50-pound bag (laughs) gets even heavier around the fourth floor. She has packing down to an art form. I have never seen someone cram as much stuff into a suitcase as she does. I'm a throw the basics in the bag and add some Diet Coke if I'm traveling internationally kind of guy. That's where most of my weight comes from. Diet Coke is different in other countries, so I pack enough to have one American Diet Coke a day. You can laugh at me all you want, but we all have our quirks and priorities. Dee has bags for her bags. I, in fact, I think some of the bags she has for her bags have bags. She uses every square inch of her suitcase and unzips the expansion when she needs to. And when I'm not careful to close up my suitcase before she notices, I usually hear, oh good, you've got room. <laughs> men, you know what that means. To be fair, Dee Dee's method of packing means that she's prepared for everything that could possibly happen. Her, she packs options for her options. She generally rolls her eyes at me when I'm cold and forgot to pack a jacket. Why didn't you pack something? For the record, men, because I didn't have room after you got a hold of my suitcase is never an acceptable answer. <laughs> we're going to call this a grief and marriage tips sermon now. <laughs> and while we're on the record, and because I don't want to sleep on the sofa tonight, I can't tell you how many times Didi has packed this thing thingamajig or that doodad, and I've needed it. So I've, I really do benefit from her thoroughness. When it comes to grief, most of us carry around more baggage than we want. Stuffed like DD packs. In fact, some of us carry around steamer trunks of baggage. Some of us have so much baggage that we spend more time schlepping it around than we do enjoying life. It's almost like your baggage carries you instead of the other way around. It controls your life. You don't control it. I, wouldn't it be better if you could fit it all into a stylish circa 1980s fanny pack? Of course it would. You'd look like a dork, but hey, at least you'd be living free and easy. Which is why we're talking about how to get through what you're going through. And as we've already discovered, there are six phases or stages of getting through what you're going through. There's shock, which we talked about last week then sorrow our topic for today and then in the weeks to come we'll unpack struggle surrender sanctification and service we all experience loss no one makes it through life without loss which means that unfortunately you're going to need this message at some point in your life maybe not today but in the future and if you take the time to be honest and unless you have been ruthlessly committed to emotional health for a very long time you probably still have some baggage from your past that you haven't sorrowed over. That's certainly been true for me. I've been pretty open about my past through my years here at Dayspring so most of you already know that there was all manner of abuse in my early years and thanks to counseling in college the precious Word of God, wisdom spoken into my life by friend and foe in strategic moments, and the desire to ruthlessly eliminate all emotional unhealth personally, I I think I can say that I've downsized my baggage pretty successfully. And yet, while I was prepping for this series and praying about it, God brought something else to the surface. All of those childhood experiences, some before I can even remember, screwed up some of my internal wiring, and I thought I was done rewiring. Apparently, that was wishful thinking on my part. Apparently, my current brokenness isn't enough to process all on its own, because God surfaced a couple of more losses from my early childhood that I still need to unpack, that still impact my internal dialogue in unhealthy ways. So I guess I still need to sorrow over and process some junk on my road to emotional and spiritual health. All that to say, just because you aren't grieving a current loss doesn't mean that you don't have a loss to grieve. In fact, if you aren't grieving a current loss, this might be a great time to downsize the baggage you don't need anymore. Why wait until it all bubbles to the surface in the middle of a, uh, of a major life crisis? So be proactive. Or not. It's your choice. Uh, which brings us to our first point. Uh, we've got a lot to cover this morning, and so we're, we're going to start by looking at what the Bible has to say about grieving and then identifying some steps to downsizing the baggage. So first, loss is unavoidable, but grief is a choice. Loss is unavoidable, but grief is a choice. You have to choose to grieve. And lots of people simply choose not to. They get creative, stuffing it into the ever-increasing in size baggage they carry around with them 24-7. We got the framework for this series of messages from Rick Warren, the pastor at Saddleback in California. Uh, He says, there is no life without change. There is no change without loss. And there is no loss without pain. But grief is a choice. That's worth repeating. There is no life without change. There is no change without loss. And there is no loss without pain. But grief is a choice. Though we often live in denial and try to fight it, all living things change. The only things that don't change aren't alive. Since you are alive, you're changing. My 53-year-old body is a testament to this truth. I ache in places I've never ached before. I don't have the stamina I used to have. I need more sleep. I can't do things the same way I could when I was younger. Everything changes. The things inside you change. Things around you change. There is no change without loss. You can't reach for the new without losing the old. That's loss. You are losing things all the time, and I don't mean your keys. That's how you are able to move forward. And there is no loss without pain. We don't like loss, especially when we aren't in control of the loss. But grief is a choice. You have to choose to let grief in, to choose to feel it, which begs the question, why in the world would I ever want to feel grief? What's wrong with stuffing it in and ignoring it? It's not hurting anything. Well, whether you like it or not, (laughs) grief is the key to your spiritual growth. Grief is the key to your spiritual growth. You are one whole person, body, mind, and soul. Your emotional health impacts your physical health and your spiritual health, even if you don't know how. Your emotional health is impacting your spiritual health, which means your journey to spiritual adulthood must include a journey to emotional adulthood. And as a reminder, grief isn't just something that happens at funerals with uh, with the loss of a loved one. You experience thousands upon thousands of losses in your life. Some of those are obvious. You can lose your health, you can lose a, a job, you can lose your friend, you can lose your finances, but you can also lose your innocence, your sense of safety and security, your identity. It would be impossible to create a complete list of losses. You can and do lose anything, which makes grief much more than just what you feel when someone dies. It is that, of course, but it is more, much more, than just the physical death of a loved one. What about the loss that comes with the death of a dream? The death of what you thought was your future. On the communication card a couple of weeks ago, someone wrote that they were grieving the loss of a leadership position because of the betrayal of someone they trusted. Another friend wrote that she was grieving the life she feels like she's earned but doesn't have. Another wrote the loss of companionship, another the loss of certainty, and yet another the broken relationship with his kids. We can lose anything, which means we can grieve any loss, not just physical death, if we choose to. Grief is a choice. But because grief is unpleasant, most of us want to avoid it. So we stuff it and ignore it. We just get on with life. We deny it. But don't miss this. (laughs) That's the cause Of many of your problems unresolved unmourned grief like me you had junk happen when you were a kid your teen years were torture you didn't date well your first marriage ended ugly and you should have grieved over it but you didn't grief is a choice but if you don't choose it you get stuck at that stage Grief is essential to a whole healthy life, so choose it. Now, the second thing we should know about grief is that grief is healthy. Grief is healthy. It is the only healthy response when you have a loss. It doesn't matter what the loss is. It can be anything. The loss of a career, the loss of a marriage, the loss of financial stability, the loss of a relationship. Grief is healthy. It's good for you. It's the only healthy response to loss because it is unhealthy to deny a loss. Grief might be the worst, most painful emotion that we experience, but on the flip side, it's also the most helpful emotion. Grief is God's tool for getting you through life's transitions. If you don't grieve, you get stuck. And some of you are still stuck at 14 years old or 32 years old or 40. You're stuck because you didn't grieve a major loss in your life and you got stuck. Many of our phobias and anxieties and fears and low self-esteem are caused by our ungrieved losses. Even Jesus, who clearly never did anything wrong, never did anything unhealthy, even Jesus grieved. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows, and when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus grieved. He cried. For the record, I'm not sure that he was crying for the loss of Lazarus. You might remember this story. Let's look at a part of it in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, that's Lazarus's sister, when he saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, Oh, see how much he loved him. Jesus was somewhere else when he was notified that Lazarus was sick. And then he stayed where he was for two more days. By the time he showed up on the scene, Lazarus had been dead for four days. But if Jesus knew that he was going to resurrect Lazarus in just a couple of minutes, and he did, why would he be grieving the loss of Lazarus? That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus, more than anyone else, would have an eternal perspective. He knew that if Lazarus stayed dead, he was in a better place. Instead of grieving Lazarus, I think the context suggests that he was grieving the lack of faith from people in whom he had invested so much of himself, grieving that in spite of all of his teaching, this life was still more real to them than the one to come. And since we know that he is close to the brokenhearted, I'm sure he shared in the pain of Mary, Martha, and the rest of Lazarus's loved ones. They were grieving, and he loved them enough to empathize with their pain. Whether it was Lazarus or all the rest or some combination in between doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus grieved as he wept. This also tells us that one loss can cause many layers of grief, and that spiritual losses, which no one ever talks about, should be grieved more deeply. And I don't think we should gloss over the fact that Jesus cried. Sadness is not weakness. The ability to cry actually shows great strength. Weak people are afraid of showing their emotions. Strong people face them head-on. They aren't afraid to feel. There are two unhealthy reactions to loss. One is repression. The other is suppression. Repression and suppression. Repression is unconsciously trying to block out painful thoughts and emotions. Suppression is consciously trying to block out painful thoughts and emotions. You intentionally say, I'm not going to think about that. Either response is a mistake. To not grieve losses is a mistake. Grief Is God's gift to getting you through the transitions of life. Think about it this way. If you don't let it out in healthy ways, you are going to act it out in unhealthy ways. If you don't let it out in healthy ways, you will act it out in unhealthy ways. One way or another, it's going to leak out of you. We see this all the time. Adults who are doing all kinds of bad behavior because they've never grieved, never grieved over an absentee father or an alcoholic mother or mistreatment, bigotry, prejudice, bullying. If you don't grieve the losses in your life, you will act them out in unhealthy ways, as any emotional health professional can tell you. You could also put it this way. When you swallow your grief, your body rejects it. Now don't quote me on the exact numbers, but I've heard that 62%, 62% of our physical problems are rooted in our emotional problems. Doctors will tell you that lots of illnesses find their root in unresolved grief, unresolved resentment, uh, unresolved regrets. Think of how much space our hospitals would have for COVID patients if we just emptied them of the people who stuffed their emotions inside, bottled them up, instead of processing the way God intended. He designed us to let them out. Loss is unavoidable. Grief is a choice. You choose to enter into grief. You have to embrace it because grief is the only healthy choice. It's good. It's God's design to get you through the transitions of life. The third thing you should know about grief is that God grieves with me. God grieves with me. Our ability to grieve comes from God. It is a part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We have emotions because God has emotions. God experiences sadness. He weeps. He sorrows. God has regrets when he sees the evil that people do. He's an emotional God. When you decide not to, to grieve, when you live in denial and stuff your losses into your emotional baggage, you are denying the very thing that makes you human. You are denying the essence of what it means to be created in the image of God. The Bible teaches that not only does God give us the ability to grieve, but he grieves with us. He suffers with us. He is sympathetic to our pain. He isn't just standing on the sidelines waiting for us to get over it. He actually enters into our grief. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Have you ever been brokenhearted? Some of you are brokenhearted right now. Maybe your heart was broken just this week, or maybe it's been broken for a long time, and you've just ignored it. God is close to the brokenhearted. I remember years ago coming home after having my spirit broken by betrayal. I was seriously thinking about a new career at the time. I told Didi what had happened, and I opened God's word, and he spoke to me through the book of Hebrews. He began to pick up the pieces of my heart as he restored my soul. God is close to the brokenhearted, but when we deny our grief, we end up pushing him away. And we end up rejecting that closeness. Grief is healthy because it invites God into the process and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The fourth thing we should know about grief is that grief is healed in community. Nobody gets well on their own. We are better together. We need each other. Shortly after creation, in a perfect setting, Adam sat there alone, and God saw that it wasn't a good thing for him to be alone. God hates loneliness. He created us for community, to be in relationship, to to love him by loving other other people. You need people in your life. We looked at this verse last week. Galatians 6.2 tells us to share each other's burdens— and in this way obey the law of Christ when you are in pain i love god by carrying your pain with you when i'm in pain you do the same we are to carry each other's grief that's one of the ways that we support each other romans 12:15 says be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep grief is healed in community Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. We share it with each other. As a side note, let me give you just a little advice. When when someone is in pain, comparing never comforts. Don't tell someone, I know what it's like. No, you don't. You don't know what it's like. Everybody's grief is different because every person is different. If they've lost their grandparent and you've lost your grandparent, it still isn't the same. You have a different relationship with your grandparent than they do with theirs. You carry different baggage than they do. It isn't the same. And that kind of consolation never works. It doesn't help the other person at all. Everybody's grief is different. It's better to simply say, I'm sorry for your loss. This must be incredibly hard for you. Why don't you tell me how you feel? So, sharing, not comparing, that's how grief is healed in community. And then the fifth thing that we should know about grief from the Bible is that grief takes time. Grief takes time. Grief isn't a quick process. You can't schedule how long it will last, and it lasts as long as it lasts for you. No two people grieve the same things or similar things the same way. Uh, When my brother died in his sleep at the age of 27, it hit our family like a bus. It took about five years for the cloud to lift from my parents, and even now, Moments of grief hit them unexpectedly, and that's okay. You never get over grief. You get through grief. You never get over the major losses in your life. You get through them. You remember them for the rest of your life. They become a part of your story, your life story. They are a part of what makes you, you. My grief has made me the person I am today, and frankly, I like the person I am today. I wouldn't change that. My grief has become a part of my story. So don't try to get over it. Try to get through it. Don't expect others to get over it. Help them through it. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, I'll get there somehow here. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. When Solomon, who is the most likely author of these words, what he means is that life is composed of opposites. We have good days and bad days, ups and downs, weeping and rejoicing, mourning and dancing. Both sides are legitimate parts of life, and maturity is being able to enter into both. If you can only enter into the parties of life, but don't know how to grieve, you are incomplete. Incomplete you're missing half of your life. In fact, you're missing the part of your life that causes spiritual growth to happen. We don't grow on the mountaintops. We grow in the valleys. So if grief is a season, like Solomon says, then it's more than a day, more than a week. It's a season of grief other cultures understand this better than we do we like our grief one and done just get over it other cultures grieve in seasons when moses died the whole country grieved for 30 days that was the time of mourning it's important to recognize this truth because too many of you are like me when i face a loss i want to immediately jump to the fix it phase rather than taking the time to grieve the loss which makes sense most of the time. You lose your job, you start looking for a new one. You lose your boyfriend and start swiping for a new one. You lose your health and start chemotherapy. There are millions of things that we lose and just immediately jump to the fix. But don't forget the grief. If you don't let it out in healthy ways, you'll act it out in unhealthy ways. There was a season a while back when several of my friends left Dayspring. Not all at once and not for all the same reasons. Sometimes just life just happens. But in in my life, Sunday comes every seven days, whether I'm ready or not. So I just found myself going for the fix. And then I realized that every time one of my friends wanted to meet with me, this fear would crop up inside me that I was going to lose another friend, which tempted me to become a people pleaser so that no one would want to leave. I forgot to grieve and the pressure built up. Fortunately, God is close to those who are brokenhearted and helped me realize what was going on inside of me. Don't try to fix everybody or everything right out of the gate, just grieve. That's the healthy part of the healing process that lets you get on with life without the baggage. What we have to do is learn to lament. You can't get past the pain until you acknowledge it you accept it, and you feel it. Once you do, you can get through it. Of course, that's not what most of us do. Instead of feeling it and grieving over it, we just put our head down and forge ahead. And over time, it's like opening a Diet Coke can that's been shaken up. It'll come out eventually, but it's going to be ugly. We exhibit all, all kinds of weird behaviors and habits, fears, hang-ups, and problems when we stuff. And that's how we get stuck. We just want to get past our sorrows instead of through them. And that pain you felt when you were bullied in middle school has you stuck emotionally in middle school. You've got to go into it in order to get through it. So do that. And to do that, we have to learn to lament. To lament is to cry out to God with your pain, your hurt, your anger. Whatever your complaint might be, you just tell God exactly how you feel. We'll get back to that in just a moment before we can lament we need to do a couple of things first so let's just assume that everyone is on board we all want to be healthy emotionally and spiritually so we're going to grieve our losses in order to do that i need to list the losses i haven't grieved over list the losses you've never grieved for this you'll probably need to take an inventory of your life Consider where you have experienced major losses. And maybe you went off to war. Maybe you experienced rejection. You might have might miss some loved ones in your life or long-term illness. You, you might be a little bit country and you have lost your job, your truck, and your dog. So start by listing the losses you've never grieved. You have something. More, like, more than likely, you have some things. If you can't think of anything, a place to start might be your internal dialogue. How do you talk to yourself about yourself? Uh, Look for guilt and shame. Guilt and shame never come from God. They come from the enemy who loves to put them on replay in your internal dialogue. I know people who have enough guilt to power a small city. Or a large one? Do you see yourself as a victor or victim? As worthy or unworthy? I've never met anyone with a completely healthy identity. Look there. Any place you have internal dialogue that is inconsistent with the truth in God's word is a symptom of something deeper. If you get stuck, you could also look for external symptoms and then trace them back. For example, I have a friend who is exhibiting some unhealthy anger. Anger doesn't generally come out of nowhere. There's a root somewhere that is ungrieved. Shopaholicism is a symptom of something deeper. Codependency, a symptom of something deeper. Judgmentalism, apathy. Whatever you do, don't stop at the symptom. Start with the symptom and then ask why that symptom is present in your life. You could also ask someone you trust to point you in the right direction. I guarantee you, your closest friends and loved ones have a good idea. You don't have to be afraid of what you'll hear from them. They love you with all of your flaws. They aren't blind to them. They love you. They'd love you even more if you could get rid of some of those flaws. And on the other side of that, if someone asks you to point them in the right direction, give them the kindness of truth. You can speak truth with love and kindness. If someone is brave enough to ask you for help, be brave enough to answer them truthfully. And ca- In case I haven't been clear to this point, it doesn't matter when the loss happened in your life. If you're thinking, ah, that was 50 years ago, it doesn't, it doesn't have matter anymore. That's a lie from the enemy. You might even take a look at things you think you've already grieved. God often reveals brokenness in layers. He just peels them back one at a time. That's about all we can handle. If you haven't grieved it the way God designed, it impacts your life today. And even if that impact is small, it's holding you back. You need to grieve You need to deal with it. Grief is so important to our spiritual formation that I can honestly say that not grieving your losses puts you out of alignment with God's plan for your life. We also call that disobedience. Or dare I say, sin. How many of you would like to have a life and a future that's blessed by God? No need to raise your hand. I know the answer. Everyone wants a life and future blessed by God. Grief is the key to blessing. Notice what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 4. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Who gets comforted? Those, they. Who is they? Those with the courage to mourn. What Jesus is saying is that cover-ups don't get comforted. Stuffers don't get comforted. Ignoring the pain, denying the pain doesn't get comforted. Too afraid of your emotions? No comfort for you. And if I don't get comforted, I don't get blessed. Blessing comes through mourning. Mourning is the key to unlocking God's blessing. If we want to boil it down, I think the reason we don't allow ourselves to grieve is fear. We're afraid we'll be overcome with emotion or we'll We're afraid that we'll never recover. Or we're afraid dredging up that old junk won't do any good, won't make anything better. Too much work and not enough payoff. Grief won't kill you. You will recover. You won't lose your mind. It will do good. It's worth the work. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. Fear never comes from God. In fact, God's word says to fear not 365 times. Do you know how many times it says to grieve not? Or cry not? Or sorrow not? Not one time. Fear not. Or how about this one? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I had to break out my old King James for that one. Fear is evil. Consider this. I'm asking you to walk through your grief to the other side. Blessing is on the other side. You're not going to get stuck in your grief. You're already stuck on the wrong side of grief. You're going to walk through the valley and come out the other side a healthier, stronger person, blessed by God. That's the promise to cling to. But you've never walked through it, so it's a It's big and scary, and it's keeping you from growing the way God wants you to grow. That's why you can't stop those habits, those destructive patterns that are holding you back. You've got to get through the valley so you can get on the rest with the rest of your life. So list the losses. And then next, identify what I've really lost. Go back and, and look at what you really lost in childhood. Go deeper than the obvious. It's wasted effort if you don't go all the way. So what did you lose by having an alcoholic dad? What did you really lose when you lost your job? What did you lose when you were bullied? Did you lose stability, security, your identity? Did you lose encouragement, credibility, trust? Like what did you really lose? That's what you need to grieve. Yes, I was abused, but what I really lost is my innocence. I lost part of my identity and self-worth. If I only grieve the abuse, I'm forgetting to grieve the deeper stuff that really shapes who I am. The abuse is what happened to me, but the things that scar me, are more, the the things that scar me more are the things I really lost. So once you've identified the losses you haven't grieved, make a list of what you've really lost there. And then third, have the courage to lament. Uh, Lament isn't a word that we use much today. It's a Bible word uh, that most of us have heard and probably have some sense of what it means, even if we don't really know much about it. A lament is a passionate expression of grief to God. To lament means I cry out to God. I may shout to God. I may weep. I may yell. It's a passionate expression of grief to God. It's also an act of worship. That might surprise you. It is an act of worship that can actually include arguing with God and complaining to God when you complain to god it's an act of worship when you complain about god that's sin and we usually do the second we complain about god but god allows us to complain to him all we want he can handle it god can handle your rage and resentment he can handle your regrets and complaining and your accusations he's got big shoulders we're going to talk Uh, about this more next week when we talk about struggle. Uh, How do you argue with God and complain to God and have it become an act of worship? We'll unpack that a, a little bit later. But for now, he can handle it. The Bible is filled with laments, complaints to God, prayers of accusation and grief. The beauty of the Bible is that it doesn't whitewash any negative emotion. It's all there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God isn't afraid of our negative emotions. To be fully alive is to accept it all. The Bible is filled with laments. We've got a whole book dedicated to laments. We call it Lamentations. It's an entire book of Jeremiah complaining to God that God got it all wrong. He was grieving the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. There are 150 psalms in the Old Testament. We think of the psalms as hymns of praise and thanksgiving, but as many as 65 of the psalms are laments. When you read them, some of what's there is surprising. They're basically David and the other author saying, God, I don't like this right now. Right now, I don't even like you, God. You need to fix this. And that's worship. Just as much as the good stuff, because you're talking to God about God. Just for fun, you might try reading Psalm 88 this week. It was written by Heman. His final words are, Darkness is my only friend, which of course makes me think of, hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I'm a music guy, what can I say? That's a guy <laughs> processing pain. Every human emotion is found in the Psalms. We've, we've included a list of the Psalms of Lament in the message notes this week. Read a few and then follow their pattern with your own losses. And then the last thing you need to do is ask Jesus to heal your broken heart. Ask Jesus to heal your broken heart because he understands he made you. He's close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. When we come to God and tell him we're hurting or scared or god i'm grieving god i just got fired and i don't know what to do or my engagement just got broken off or i'm afraid i'll never get married or i'm sorry i ever got married or god i really want a baby but i don't have one it hasn't happened when we pour out our hearts to him he understands he gets it he knows our hearts better than we do and he's just waiting for us to acknowledge what he already knows and ask him for help. He came to heal the brokenhearted. So in your pain, look toward God. Keep your eyes on Jesus as you walk through the valley of the shadows. Wherever there are shadows, there is light. There's a light. Keep your eyes on the light. If you keep your eyes on the light, you will make it through the valley victorious, stronger, healthier, ready to face whatever God has next for you. You know, God never graduates you to the next level until you've passed the one you're on. And the longer you stay stuck, <laughs> the harder it gets. So press on and graduate to a life and future blessed by God. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, I know that you've probably brought to mind, in all of us, some part of our life that we still need to grieve. It might be recent. It might be from years and years and years ago. It might feel big and overwhelming like the loss of a loved one, the loss of your life partner, or it could be small. Grief is grief. It doesn't matter what what the size is, and all grief has the ability to keep us stuck. So in these moments, God, I believe in faith that you've laid on, on the hearts of all of us something that we still need to sorrow over. Give us the courage to choose grief. Give us the courage to walk through the valley of the shadows. And help us keep our eyes on the light. Father, we want nothing more than your presence in our healing. And we want nothing more than to to no longer be stuck or held back by the things we haven't grieved. So as I often pray, do your perfect work in us as we walk through the valley of the shadows. In Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. Thank you for your financial support of our ministries. God does great things in people's lives because of your faithfulness. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and share this service wherever you watch it. The message of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. He is the best answer to all of life's challenges. We'll see you next week. Go in the grace of God.